invite you to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. It's good to see everyone again this evening. We still have a lot of people that are gone. Uh, traveling and on vacations, but like I said earlier this morning, it's good to just have the people that have been on vacations thus far back safe and sound, back at home, able to worship with us again. Uh, it's just good to be able to worship God on the first day of the week, especially on one that actually has the sun out. So that's been a pretty, pretty nice and uh, somewhat unexpected blessing. So, uh, you know, maybe there's a lesson tonight of just not taking things for granted and being uh, grateful for what we have. So it's good to just be able to have a little bit of sun for even as short-lived as it may be. I think we're supposed to have more storms, so just be careful with that. But it's good to have everyone out, good to be able to worship with you and study once again God's Word. As I said, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 25, I want to focus on one parable in particular that Jesus teaches, that Jesus preaches to his disciples, his students, those who are listening to him, as, as, as Christians, as disciples, as we were just talking about, as God's sons and daughters, we ought to be diligent about how we are to serve him, how we are to work for him, and how we obey him. This, is, this should be the first and foremost thought and goal in our lives. Before anything else, how can I serve my king? How can I serve my God? The question is, are we being a faithful servant? Here in Matthew chapter 25, what we find is, is really the difference between a true servant who prepares for his master, who prepares for God, and the bad servant that just does not. And I want to look at the differences there uh, that you see there between the bad servant and what is a good servant in this parable of the talents, a very familiar passage I know, but I think that I, I just think that there are lessons that are that are too great to not come back to every now and then, every so often. There there are some I think very encouraging points that are made in this parable specifically, which we'll talk about as we go throughout. But before we even read through the parable of the talents, I just want to give a brief explanation of what talents are. Talents are not a skill, it's not a gift or an attribute of someone even. When we talk about the parable of the talents, it was actually uh, a large sum of money. Now this is what a talent would be made up of. What you see before you, this coin here, was a denarius. And you see this talked about in Matthew chapter 22, verses 19 through 21, how, how uh, that's where Jesus actually tells the people, you know, bring out, bring out a denarius. Whose likeness is on, whose image is on that? And they say, well, Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. And so that, that's what you see before you is just a picture of just that denarius, which a denarius would be uh, a, a day's wage in Mark, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, another parable that Jesus goes through as he talks about what the kingdom of heaven is like. In verse 2, you see there, when he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them into his vineyard. And there we, there's another parable of talking about workers in the vineyard of of the master. Uh, but there you see, even in the parable, a denarius was basically uh, commonly a day's wage of work. And so this is, when you think about what a talent is, it was actually uh, a, a sum of 6,000 denarii, uh, of 6,000 different of those coins. So one talent equaled 
Six thousands of those coins. So that, that was actually a pretty great number, and it was a great sum of money. So I, I think it's important that as we go throughout this parable, we understand what exactly is being talked about when the master starts giving out and divvying out these different talents, five talents, two talents, one talent, just how much we're talking about. And also what kind of responsibility is being given to the servants. And so just keep that in mind as we read throughout this, this, this parable here in Matthew chapter 25. So let's go ahead and read beginning in verse 14. Matthew 25 and verse 14. Jesus said, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more talents. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more. Verse 21, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, Take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now I just wanted to get the, the whole of the parable in our minds as we go throughout this. Because as we go throughout the study, I want to look at it from that standpoint, from that perspective of we know the conclusion of this story. In fact, we're probably very familiar with it because this is a more familiar passage to us. But we also know some of the contrasts between the, the work of the different servants, the one with the five talents, two talents, one talent. And I want to look at it with the whole in mind just to make some comparisons between the servants there and what kind of servants we are to be. Because really what I think Jesus wants the people that he's teaching this to to understand is he's trying to teach people who want to be a part of God's kingdom to understand what they're being tasked with and what reward that awaits them for that task, whether good or bad. But now that's the, really the two things that I want to talk about tonight. First of all being what they were tasked with, the talents that they were tasked with. And first of all, I, I, I like what it says in verse 14. It says that the master had entrusted responsibility to his servants. What is he entrusting to them? First of all, the, the notion of trust indicates something somewhat personal. It's not just some random chore, which we'll talk about in just a second. But, but what is he entrusting to them? It is the master's possessions. 
So this is not just some silly demand that the master is giving to some slave, just a couple of chores that they have to do around the house or throughout the day. This is actually really more so the master saying, this is something that is valuable to me and I am trusting you with it, with its care and with the tending to it. That's a little bit more than just some, just some random work that he's telling a couple of slaves to do around the house or around the vineyard or around the, the manor. There, there's, there's a personal nature to this. And I think that as, as Jesus is talking to people who want to be a part of God's kingdom, who, want, who wants God to be their master, one of the things he's trying to get across from the very beginning is, as God's servants, how should we feel if I have been entrusted, if he entrusts something to me? As a servant, how should I feel, how should I view that responsibility? And I would just add to that, as you look at this, it's not just some of the servants, but all the servants are entrusted with something. Now, it's, it's not all the same. I know that it's different quantities of talents. But, but ultimately, every slave, at least as far as we can tell in the parable, everyone is entrusted with something of the masters. Now, if, if God is your master, it's very clear if, if we are his servant that we are entrusted with responsibility. That he entrusts us with work that we are supposed to do. That he expects from us. When you become a Christian, you are not expected to be idle. In fact, you're commanded not to be idle. You're commanded to be active and busy about the business of your father. About the business of our master. And you even see this all the way throughout the New Testament. Matthew chapter 11 in verse, verses 28 through 30 when Jesus gives that beautiful invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What's interesting about that is that Jesus doesn't say that we'll be put under no yoke. You, you know, a lot of people look at that and say, oh, Jesus is breaking us from the yoke of sin. Now, now that we can be free, we can do whatever we want. We don't have to care about anything. We don't have to worry. We don't have to think in the same terms of a slave. No, you, you're still a slave. But you're the slave under a much better taskmaster. Instead of being tasked by the devil and sin in the world, rather we are being tasked by Jesus it's not that we're no, under no yoke whatsoever. We are under Christ's yoke, which is light. The burden is light and the yoke is easy. Now, we have been entrusted as servants of God with responsibility. We don't just get to act however we want. We have a taskmaster and he expects us to act in an appropriate manner to the responsibility that we have. Now, thinking about that responsibility, in verse 15 what we find is that the responsibility was divvied out each according to his own ability. You even see that in verse 15. At least the New American Standard puts it in that way. Each according to his own ability and then the master goes out on his journey. I think that this is important as well because the master expects what they're capable of. He's not expecting too much or too little. He's not looking at one servant over another and and expecting more from them than he should, he's also not expecting less. You think about the, the five-talent man and the one-talent man. He doesn't expect the one-talent man to tend to the five-talent man's load. Nor vice versa. Does he expect less from the five-talent man? He gives them each according to their own ability. And I think that that's important because regardless of how big or small the portion is, there is still responsibility attached. There's responsibility involved. And when you think about God giving responsibility, whether it's big or small, I think it's very easy when, when we view it as small to, to, to take it for granted, not be grateful for it, not look at it with the same level of urgency that we should. 
clearly what the one talent man did, how he did not look at it. You know, sometimes people, when talking about themselves as, as Christians, maybe a part of the church, when they think about the responsibilities they have, think about what the one talent man could have said. I didn't have very much. I didn't have as much to tend to. So really, I guess it doesn't matter. No, you still had something to tend to. This wasn't just something you get to be idle with, as we see from the master's response. That wasn't good enough. You don't just get to bury it. You don't just get to hide it. And then, and then when the master comes back and says, look what I've done. You've done nothing. As servants of God, are we allowed to do nothing? No, we're supposed to be busy and we're supposed to be active, as we've been saying all throughout. The, when you think about the Christian's responsibility, God gives us each according to our own ability. He doesn't expect more from us than he should. He doesn't expect less either. And so we need to look at this from the standpoint of this is not too much to handle. When we have a role in the church, when we have a specific function in the church, we don't get to take that for granted if, if we deem it small in our own eyes. We don't get to say, well, that just doesn't matter as much. You still need to tend to that. It doesn't matter if you have maybe more than others. You still need to tend to that. We have to, keep, to, to, to make sure that we are urgent and we have to make sure that we are active with the responsibility that God has given us as servants of the kingdom, as servants of the master. Now, we started by looking at what, what a talent was, how much that was. You remember that it was 6,000 denarii. It, it was a big number. I'm not even going to try to convert that into current U.S. dollars. I know it's in the millions. There, there's something, you at least have that. We're not talking about pocket change here. We are not talking about a, a small investment or even if it was lost, a small loss. This was a big amount of money. And so when you think about that with the one talent man especially, realize the immense weight of what he's been entrusted with. As we were just saying a moment ago, he could so easily say, all I, all I had is one talent. <laughs> all you had is one talent? Would, would, <laughs> would uh, especially for, for the guys that have bought engagement rings or wedding rings for their for their fiancés or their wives would you entrust that to someone would you trust that person very much if they say oh all I have is this is this tiny little thing um why don't I take that back because clearly you don't know how much that means to me <laughs> clearly you don't know how much that is worth and you know a lot of the time we we're too embarrassed to even tell them <laughs> how much we paid for something like that no it's small it's a tiny little thing but but it still means something and it's more than just the monetary cost. There's some sentimental value there as well. But, 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 even, but just thinking about the monetary value of that one talent, 6,000 denarii, that is, in, at, at least, at least in, in the, the first century uh, perspective, that is 16 years worth of wages. Think that's just a small thing, a small portion, a small responsibility, 16 years of wages? Even the smallest talent was a tremendous responsibility. Now, with that being said, I say all that really to set, set up a, a question. And that question comes down to me and you. What have we been entrusted with that we may be taking for granted? I think that there are all kinds of things. This is not an exhaustive list. This is just a few things. But what are some things that we've been entrusted with that we must, must realize the weight of? First of all the gospel. If you have, have accepted the Lord's conditions on salvation, 
on becoming a Christian, on being converted to his kingdom. What you have is a responsibility not just to evangelize, but a responsibility to tend to what you have committed yourself to. But you think just, just, about, just about that, thinking about evangelism alone. This, this is one of the most encouraging passages for me. And, and I'll tell you why. Because one time, it was J.R. Bronger actually, he was going through the parable of the talents. This is going to make you laugh when you hear what he said. He was, he was really, he was relating to, it was a group of preachers. It was a preacher's training classes in Springfield, Illinois. And, and he was just kind of get going through some examples of, of what this means. If you, it's just one talent, what kind of weight is behind that? And he started talking about his preaching abilities, other men's preaching abilities, comparing himself to men like Donnie Rader, comparing himself to men like L.A. Stouffer, men that are trusted, sound gospel preachers that should have our respect because of, because of their, their sound teaching and their firm, firmness in the gospel. He started comparing himself and contrasting himself to those men, and he looked at this group of guys who wished that they could speak like him, wished that they could give the applications that he can, and he says, listen, I know that I'm just a one-talent preacher, <laughs> but that's enough for me. And I, I was just like, I mean, that... that that's like Paul. You know that part when you read Paul talking about how, I, I know I'm not very eloquent. It's like, what are you talking about? I wish that I could preach the way you do. And J.R. Bronger is saying something like that. I, I know that I'm just a one-talent preacher, but you know what? That one talent that I've been entrusted with, it means something. You want to know why? Because it's the gospel. That's not chump change. That's not pocket change. That's worth a lot. That's worth a lot, way more than, some, than, than 16 years worth of wages, monetarily. We're talking about eternal life. That resonated with me because what he said, I don't know if he was, <laughs> I don't know if he was just saying that, but what he said that day was real for a lot of us in the room, especially for me. I know I'm not you know, a five-talent preacher. I know for a fact I'm just the one-talent preacher, but that doesn't discourage me. You want to know why? Because I have the only thing that any preacher ever needs. I have the only thing that any of us ever needs. But you have people that look at the gospel before them that have, that have salvation. And, they, and you almost hear people kind of talk about evangelism, whether it be to their schoolmates, to their colleagues, to their parents, to their children, to their friends, whoever it may be. They look at this responsibility and they think, I... I you know, I just, I don't really have that much to offer. Yes, that's the point. Luke Caps does not have anything to offer, but he does have this to offer. I can read from the page, and I can be confident in that. It's never going to be Luke Caps that saves someone. It's never going to be Michael Lawson that saves someone. It's never going to be Danny McKibben who saves and, and these guys, they are okay with me saying that because the power's in the gospel. But are we taking for granted Maybe just the one talent we have. How are you looking at the gospel? You think about our role or our function in the church that we talked about a moment ago. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we could go to a couple other passages, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 beginning in verse 12. Look at what Paul says. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. 
For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, is it not, it is not for this reason any less the part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not nigh, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, what would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on, the, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less uh, presentable members become much more presentable. Now, we'll stop there. But, but all throughout, what, what do you have here? Sometimes, especially, when, especially as a teenager, I would read through something like that, and I'm like, what? I'm not exactly sure what Paul is trying to say. Here's essentially what Paul is saying. It doesn't matter what role or function you are in the body. Guess what? You're a part of the body of Christ. Is that not enough? In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, you know, the, there, there are apostles, there are, there, 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 there are evangelists, there are pastors, there, there, are all kinds of, there are all kinds of people, all kinds of roles within the church. And do you ever think that Paul for a moment indicates that because someone's not an evangelist or someone's not a pastor, that they're any less a part of the body? No, he says there are going to be different roles. You don't have to worry about that. What we do need to worry about is if we are active in this body. Someone comes in and says, who cares whether or not I'm there? Who cares about my attendance? First and foremost, God. But so does everybody else a part of that body. They notice that. So we can't take these things for granted. Parents, I read, a, I read Psalm 127 when it talks about how, how God says that children are a gift from God. I tell you what, when you read about what parenthood is supposed to be throughout the Bible. Not what the world says, but what the Bible says. There is a tremendous responsibility there. And what I mean by that is not just making sure they stay alive, but making sure that they find eternal life. There's a tremendous responsibility to show them what kind of parent, what kind of father our God is. But, we, but sometimes you hear Christians talk about parenthood like, it's just, this, just, this is just, yes, it's difficult. But you hear people talking about it in such a way as, ah, oh, this may be not even worth it. I'm just trying to get by. And I know sometimes we are just trying to get by. But have we maybe forgotten what we're trying to show our children? Have we forgotten in the assembly what we're trying to show the younger generations? We're trying to show what the family of God looks like. And especially with parents, we're trying to show what kind of, we are trying to imitate our Father in Heaven, that our children will better serve Him in the future, that they will better, do a better job than even me. We, there's so many more things we could say, but we, we cannot take for granted what we have been entrusted by God. And the reason for that is because there will be consequences. And that's the last thing I want to mention. Back in Matthew chapter 25, Matthew chapter 25 what Jesus makes clear is that there's going to be a reward. And when you think reward, we only ever think about the positive. But there could be a very negative, very destructive reward as well. The master's reward is, is we want to be on that good side. But we will receive the reward due to our work with what God has entrusted us. We will receive the reward based upon how we have 
treated that responsibility. If you look all throughout Matthew chapter 25, what you see is essentially the whole chapter is speaking of judgment. It's Jesus is trying to talk to these people to, to make them think more about judgment. And really, what will ours be? What will mine be? What will the master decide my judgment will be? Which servant do I resemble? Especially when you think about the parable of the talents. There's only two outcomes. There's the outcome of the one talent man who turns out to be the bad servant. Let's just read that one more time in verse 24. What does he say? <clears throat> After he says, you know, he, he, he try. I think he may try to, I don't think he's necessarily trying to feign uh, fear, but he does at least say, I was afraid, I went away and hid your talent in the ground, see you have what is yours. Verse 26, the master answers and says to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. What does he call the bad slave? He, he doesn't really say anything about fear. And I think that's interesting because what we find, understand, his problem wasn't fear. His problem was laziness. His problem was that he squandered what he had been entrusted with by neglecting it, by doing nothing with it. Hiding it, you know, at least he hid it. He, gave, he didn't lose it. But what have you done? And that's nothing. Am I being like the bad servant, the one talent man? Am I being lazy in my life as a Christian? Thinking about some of the things we were just talking about. When it comes to the gospel, am I never evangelizing? We could be very much like the one talent man if what we have done is accept the gospel and we have done what Jesus wants us to do, but then all we ever do in our lives is hide it and we never share it with anyone. We may be like the one talent man. Or you think about our, our function in the church. Are we helping out? Are we doing what we can to help the brethren, to help Lakeside? Or are we just coming and sitting down, singing the songs, bowing our head during the prayer, and immediately leaving? How, how, how am I, how are you helping your brothers and sisters here at Lakeside? Parents. <laughs> I think one way that we can be like the, the one talent man, and I'm not saying I'm speaking from experience in any of this. I, I'm speaking from the best experience you can read from, which is the Bible. And luckily I'm not speaking from experience here, but if, if, if parents leave the teaching of the Bible to their children just to Sunday and Wednesday nights, I tell you what, that is a recipe for disaster. If our children are only ever hearing the gospel if our children are only ever hearing the applications that they're supposed to take from the gospel on Sundays and Wednesdays, never hear it at home, we will not be producing faithful servants. We will be producing the bad kind of servants. We may even produce children that don't want to be a servant at all. And what kind of terrible fate that would be. Are we being like the one talent man, being lazy, negligent, idle, not being active, or are we being like the good servant? And what does that look like? Faithfulness. Sometimes, you know, you might ask, what does it mean to be faithful? Do you have time? <laughs> faithful, are we just talking about being there for the attendance? I think maybe that's a part of it, being present. Are we talking about a little bit more than just attendance? Oh, you betcha. It's about, when you, when you talk about the marriage relationship, what do you mean when you say Faithful. It's not just getting married and being idle. It is being active every single day, growing that love, 
cultivating that love. Understand that each one that, that, that enters into the joy of his master, I do love that phrase. It, it, twice it said, not with the one talent man because he goes to weeping and gnashing of teeth, the outer darkness, but look at the first two men. They enter into the joy of their master. That's beautiful in the parable, how much more beautiful it is when we realize what God is trying to tell us. The five-talent man, the two-talent man, the ones that actually worked, they're the ones that tended to what the master had entrusted to them. These servants were rewarded for what the one-talent man did not do, and that was work. Whether it's five talents or two talents or one talent, each servant was expected to work with what they had, and they were rewarded for their work. So, it is the ones who worked that actually get to enter into the joy of their master. Now, when you think, don't, as Christians, we can't think, well, you know, if only I had more, I would be faithful. If only I had more responsibility, maybe. If only God had given me more opportunity, I would be more faithful. No, no, no. Remember what's said here. The one who is faithful in a little will only be more so with much. I mean, that's a paraphrase. But don't, don't think that because you, you may have less than someone else, that that means that you were just, you, you were, you were in a bad, you had a worse start than everyone else. No, 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 no. God gave us all the perfect opportunity. If you're a Christian, don't think that because you can call yourself a servant, just, just by name only, that you will just immediately enter into the joy of your master. The one talent, guess what? He was a servant. He could say, this man, he is my master. He has entrusted me with certain responsibilities, his possessions. Realize that only the servants who can be called faithful will enter the joy of their master. Have you been faithful? Only you can answer that. But if you haven't, you can make things right this very night. You don't have to leave this building with doubts in your mind. You can leave this building with confidence. Why is that? Because you have an advocate in heaven. But if you are not a Christian... You don't have that advocate in heaven. Not yet at least. You can. Are you willing to, to obey this master? Are you willing to let go of that brutal and cruel taskmaster, the devil, of sin? Let Jesus break that for you and start being his servant. What a beautiful thought it is when we ultimately enter into the joy of our master, of God. Don't you look forward to that? If you really want to anticipate that with excitement and not fear, what you need to do is obey this great invitation of Jesus. And what that means is you have to actually hear, long to hear what he says. And that does, that's not just a one-time thing. Continually do that. You have to be willing to believe what he says. Have that faithfulness that we were talking about. Repent of the things that he says can't be a part of your life anymore. And make that confession. Pledge your allegiance to the king. Make that confession based on that belief. And be baptized into, into his death that you can rise in newness of life. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please let your need be made known as we stand and as we sing.